All right, so within the pages of the scriptures, there are many divine promises that have varying degrees of impact. And one of the greatest promises that was ever made was a promise that God made to his servant, David. So around 1000 BC, the Lord made a promise to King David, and the promise was so great, it would absolutely impact the future of the entire world. You may ask, you know, Pastor, why are we talking about this today? Here's why. It's because the fulfillment of God's promise to David is what Christmas is all about. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 7, what I want to do now is lay the historical groundwork before we actually get into the text so you understand what's going on in the Bible. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 7, King David was sitting on the throne of the United Kingdom of Judah and Israel during a time of great peace and a time of great prosperity. Now when you study um, the, the life of David in the Bible, what you find out is that God poured out his grace and God poured out his goodness um, throughout David's life. I mean, David uh, came to faith as a very young man. Um, When he was a teenager, in his early years, he was just a shepherd boy. He was a nobody in the eyes of the world. But as time passed, what happened is that God uh, empowered David to do some extraordinary things. Like, you know the story, slaying the giant Goliath. Like um, uh, escaping the murderous clutches of King Saul. And like ascending, eventually, to the thrones of Judah and Israel. You know, I think about David, and I think about him as a shepherd boy. And I personally believe, while he was out in the fields, watching his um, father Jesse's flock, when nobody even knew his name, when nobody even cared about this guy, you know, he's out there, and I believe, you know what he was doing underneath the stars? I believe he was worshiping the Lord. I believe he was singing to the Lord. David was a a musician, so I really think that he was engaging the Lord out under the stars as he's watching his father's sheep. And you know, I don't see anywhere, and I've been studying the Bible for a long time, I don't see anywhere where David ever sought after promotion. You know, it's just like as he just humbly served the Lord, God promoted him. God brought him from being a shepherd boy, a nobody, to being (laughs) the king over the United Kingdom of Judah and Israel. And I don't know, maybe if there's a a message in there for somebody, but I want to encourage you guys, don't, you know, seek promotion. Just keep your heart humble before the Lord, worship the Lord, and just see what God does in your life. I'm not saying you, you, know, you, can't, you shouldn't work hard. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't strive uh, for things. But what I want to encourage you to do is more than anything, keep your heart humble before the Lord. Focus on your relationship with the Lord and just see what God does. And as we approach 2 Samuel 7, you should know this. David was rejoicing in the Lord. And so prior to chapter seven, he had the honor of bringing in the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. If you're new to the Bible, you need to know that the Ark was that precious object, basically a box or a chest, 
God commanded the Israelites under Moses back in Exodus uh, to, to make this thing called the Ark of the Covenant during Old Covenant times. And uh, it, it resided in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And so inside it were the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. And on it was a lid called the mercy seat. And of course, you see the two cherubim that were the result of hammered work. And so it was on the mercy seat um, where the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the animal sacrifice once a year on the Day of Atonement. And I also um, was reminded this week as I was studying that it was above the mercy seat in between the two cherubim that the Lord sometimes would speak to Moses. Okay, and so you have the time of Moses, you fast forward about 500 years, you come to the time of David, and David is entering Jerusalem, he's bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. And as he's doing that, as I said a little while ago, what's happening is that all the house of Israel, they're playing on various instruments, and they're just worshiping the Lord, and David is dancing with all his might before the Lord. He's so excited, right? The Ark of the Covenant is coming into Jerusalem. But here's what you need to know. David was not excited about what the Ark was in. He was thinking, you know what? I dwell in this beautiful palace that's made of cedar, but the Ark of the Covenant is in a tent. And David felt guilty. David thought, you know, this is not right. And so since the time of Moses, again, we're about 1,000 B.C. in time of David. You back up, rewind, about um, 1,500 B.C. is the time of Moses, 1,400, 1,500 B.C. All right, so from the time of Moses all the way until the time of David, you need to know that the Ark of the Covenant was in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was also um, commanded by God to the Israelites through Moses in Exodus to be created, and the tabernacle was that tent. It was that place of worship. And so the ark was in the tabernacle throughout the wilderness wanderings. Anybody remember how long the Israelites wandered in the wilderness? For how many years? 40 years. And so the ark is in a tent. And then the ark is also in a tent throughout the conquest of Canaan under Joshua. You continue to read in the Bible, the ark is still in a tent throughout the period of the judges. Throughout the reign of King Saul, all that time, the ark is in a tent. Now, it's been brought into Jerusalem, and David's thinking, it is time for a change. He believed the ark needed a more fitting abode. It needed not, not, not a tent, man, it needed a temple, a temple. And so this is what David wanted to do. And so what did he do? He went to his buddy, Nathan the prophet. He bounced the idea off of Nathan, and Nathan basically said, go for it. Whatever's in your heart, do it. Now here's what you need to know. Nathan spoke too soon. You see, sometimes even prophets uh, mess up. And, and what I wanna encourage you guys is that if someone is bouncing something off of you, you know, thinking about doing something for the, for the Lord, they're wondering if it's God's will, don't just say, go for it. At least spend some time in prayer with the person, spend some time in the word before you give advice. And so nonetheless, Nathan speaks too soon. And so now we're gonna pick up the text. If you're looking at 2 Samuel chapter seven, verse one, can you say amen? amen? All right, so now when the king, David, lived in his house 
and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But, verse four, that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Verse eight. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Again, David wasn't seeking promotion, God made this decision in his life. God promoted David. Verse 10, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. And I love this part, end of verse 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, okay, so God is speaking to David through Nathan. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And so when you study one of the parallel passages to 2 Samuel 7, and you get to 1 Chronicles 28, you find out that God would not allow David to build a temple because David was a man of war, he had shed blood in battle. Even so, the Lord, well, the Lord was pleased with David's desire to honor God, and so he said at the end of verse 11, the Lord will make you a house. It's kinda like God says, hey, hey David, so you wanna build me a house? You know, here's what's really gonna happen. I'm gonna build you a house. By the way, aren't you glad God is so kind and so good and so merciful and so wonderful and so amazing? You wanna build me a house? No, no, no. I'm gonna build you a house and it's not gonna be made of wood. And so let's see how this all goes down. Please look at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for your offspring after you I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So this of course refers to David's son Solomon. And speaking of Solomon, God says, beginning of verse 13, he shall build a house for my name. So let's talk a little bit about Solomon here. After David and Bathsheba got married, uh, Bathsheba got pregnant 
uh, for the second time. You remember um, the child that was conceived during David and Bathsheba's affair, that child died. And so um, what happened was Bathsheba got pregnant again and she gave birth to Solomon. Solomon grows up, he inherits the throne of his father David and Solomon rules for 40 years. During the time of the reign of Solomon, I really encourage you guys to go back and make sure you're reading through your Old Testament You'll, you'll, um, it's so important that you understand the entire Bible, Genesis through Revelation, but when you, when you read about Solomon and his 40 years, did you know that historically speaking, that is when Israel reached the pinnacle of its power and its glory? So early on, what did Solomon do? Man, this guy started off so well. He knew, I can't do this on my, my own, I need help, and he cried out to the Lord. Does anybody remember specifically what did Solomon pray for? Wisdom. By the way, um, about 100 years ago when I was in youth, the youth group, my youth pastor uh, taught everybody in the youth group, you should pray for three things in your life. You should pray um, for God's power, you should pray for God's wisdom, and you should pray for God's love. I never forgot that. It was a long, long time ago, and that's been a regular prayer of mine, God give me your power, God give me your wisdom, God give me your love. You say, why do you pray for those things? Because I know that I can't do this thing called life on my own. I absolutely need help. And that was the heart of, of, of uh, Solomon. He prays for wisdom and man does God answer his prayer. God makes Solomon so wise, the Bible says that Solomon's wisdom um, was greater than the wisdom of all the wise men of the East. And not just that, Solomon's wisdom was greater than all the wise men down in Egypt. And not just that, but the Bible says that Solomon became wiser than any other king on the earth. So God says, here you go, son, I like that heart. He gives him wisdom, and not only does he give him wisdom, by the way, he also gives him great wealth and great Popularity. Solomon's fame extends way beyond the borders of Israel, and the Bible says that people from all nations would travel to Jerusalem just to hear this guy talk. They just wanted to come and listen to the wisdom of Solomon, and when they got to Jerusalem, they looked around, and they were blown away by the, just the, the majesty of his kingdom. You remember the Queen of Sheba? She makes that long journey, and she listens to Solomon, and she sees the... Um, the glory and the majesty of the kingdom, and she's blown away as well. So, so here's my point. Solomon did a lot of good in his early years. But how many of you guys know that if we don't continue to, to depend on the Lord, we can mess up? I was hoping more people would say amen to that. <laughs> we gotta continue to depend on the Lord all through our lives, and Solomon didn't. You guys remember what was uh, Solomon's one fatal flaw? was women, and this is not a misprint in your Bible, eventually Solomon took 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now of course, um, a lot of this was, was political alliances and all that stuff, but here's what's sad, um, his wives turned his heart to idols, and it grieved the heart of God the one and only true God, Yahweh God. And the Lord judged Solomon 
and what you need to know that the united kingdom of Israel and Judah, not during Solomon's reign, but under his son Rehoboam's reign, that united kingdom split. And so Solomon started off so well, but he ended so poorly. And here's my point before we move on. If the wisest guy around can mess up, so can any of us. So ladies and gentlemen, let me encourage you as your pastor that just continue every single day to rely on the Lord to have a humble attitude, to understand you can't do this thing called life on your own, that you need help, and pray for God's wisdom, and pray for God's power, and pray for God's love. And here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Determine in your heart that with God's help, you are gonna end well for his glory. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, that needs to be our determination. I know some of you guys want to clap for that, so go ahead and clap for the idea that we want to glorify the Lord. It's all for him. It's all for the Lord. And so, one of Solomon's greatest achievements was that right there. Just like God said, David didn't build it. David made a lot of preparations for it, but he didn't build it. Solomon built a temple for the Lord. The temple was an enormous structure, and it stood, get this, for over 300 years. You think about the the history of America, we're, I think, 245 years old as a nation. But Solomon's temple stood for over 300 years until the Babylonians destroyed it. More on that um, in a little while. But now look at verse 13, verse 13. Speaking about Solomon, God says to David through Nathan the prophet, he, shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. Okay, so we just went way beyond the reign of Solomon. And I'm gonna talk more about the eternal nature of this promise in a moment, but first, God had more to say about Solomon. All right, so look at verse 14. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son, When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul. Remember, Saul is the first king of Israel. Saul is the one who was jealous of David, who chased him around and tried to kill him. So speaking about Solomon, my steadfast love will not depart from Solomon as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as we look at verse 16, this is one of the main parts of the message right here. Here's the promise. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure, for how long? Forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What I just read to you is called the Davidic covenant, but what in the world is it? If you're new to the Bible, and by the way, before we read this, let me just encourage you. You know, be reading through your Bible, but you gotta understand what you're reading, right? 
And so you should know what the Abrahamic covenant is. You should know what the Mosaic covenant or called the old covenant is, the Palestinian covenant. You should know what the um, Davidic covenant is. You especially should know what the new covenant is. And so if you have no idea, go to gotquestions.org and, and study and learn so that when you're reading the Bible, you understand what in the world in some of these places you're reading. But we're talking about the Davidic covenant and how it ties into Christmas, all right? So what is the Davidic covenant? It's an unconditional promise. Explain that in a minute. From God to David, that his house and his kingdom and his throne would be established, again, for how long? Forever. And so the Lord said that David's house would be made sure forever. And the idea of a house points to David's royal dynasty, his royal dynasty. In America, we think about dynasties. We think about you know, football teams and, and, and the dynasty of a football team. But, but what God is talking about here is he's talking about governmental rule. And not just governmental rule, he's talking about governmental rule, listen to this, forever. And this is why what I'm teaching right now absolutely impacts us. And so look again at verse 16. He says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, it's important that we understand what does this mean and what does it not mean. So I always like to get a little help from our friends, those who are smarter than us. And so Dr. Charles Ryrie, he said this, the covenant, the Davidic covenant, did not guarantee uninterrupted rule by David's family. And in fact, the Babylonian exile interrupted it. But it did promise that the right to rule would always remain with whose dynasty? David's. This is important because as you're reading through the New Testament, I'm mean, sorry, the Old Testament, here's what you're gonna find out. You're gonna find out that some of the kings in David's line did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they ruled over a rebellious people and that eventually culminated, culminated in the Lord allowing the Babylonian Empire to invade and conquer Judah. And not only that, but um, um, they deported many Jews to Babylon and thus they interrupted the rule of David's descendants. Is this making sense to you guys here? And so from 607 BC to 586 BC, the Babylonians came, they deported many Jews to Babylon, and in 586 BC, you remember the temple that was up on the screen? They destroyed, the Babylonians destroyed the temple, Solomon's temple. And you think, wow, what a dark time in the history of Judah. What a dismal time. But how many of you guys believe you know, that God's word never fails? Do you really believe that? And so you have a guy named Jeremiah the prophet, and he prophesied that the Babylonian exile, the Jews in Babylon, that that was only gonna last for 70 years. You can look it up later in Jeremiah 29, uh, 10, 11, 12, right around there. 
And sure enough, just like God said through Jeremiah, after 70 years, many of the Jews came home. They came back to their land. They came back to Judah. They came back to Jerusalem. Eventually, as you continue to read the Bible, they rebuilt the temple. And not only that, many of them continued to put their hope, no matter how dark it became, many of them continued to put their hope that one day the son of David, the Messiah, is going to come. All through what's known as the post-exilic years or the post-Babylonian exile years, these these Jews would continue to, to pray and to hope and to wait for the son of David to come. Now, what gave them sure hope? in dark times that the Messiah was gonna come. The words of the prophets. Here's just some of them. Isaiah says this about the coming Messiah. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Some of you are thinking right now, yeah, I just read this on a Christmas card I got in the mail this week, yep. And the, I love this, government, shall be upon his shoulder. Whose shoulder? The son of David, Messiah. The government, and by the way, this is not metaphorical. This will happen literally in the history of mankind. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You say, what does this have to do with David? Here it is. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of who? David. David. And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And some people say, oh, come on, really? This is not metaphorical. This is literal. You really think this is gonna happen? Yeah, and the reason I know it's gonna happen, last sentence, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It will absolutely Happen. How many of you guys know better days are ahead? Absolutely, better days are ahead. And these Jews during the post-exilic times, post-Babylonian exile times, they were waiting for the son of David to come. And then they held on to the sure promise not, not only of Isaiah's prophecy, but Jeremiah's prophecy. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for who? David, a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. That is gonna happen literally. And deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And by the way, quick side note, for those of you guys who understand what I'm talking about, the church did not replace Israel. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. But they didn't just hang on to the words of Isaiah, God's word through Isaiah, or God's word through Jeremiah. They also hung on to God's word through Malachi. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. and You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And so these are just some of the prophecies that God's people held on to as they were waiting in dark and dismal times 
for the son of David, for the Messiah to come. But year after year after year passed and there was still no fulfillment. In fact, after Malachi's prophecy, did you guys know that God was silent for 400 years? Some of you guys think that God is silent right now in your life. (laughs) He was silent for 400 years. But how many of you guys believe that God always keeps his promises. Listen, even in the dark times, even in the dismal times, God will always come through. Here's what you need to know, church family. The Davidic covenant cannot fail. It cannot fail. And here's why. It's an unconditional promise. What does that mean? That means it doesn't depend on man's faithfulness. It depends on God's faithfulness, and God is always faithful. So the stuff that that I'm teaching, the stuff that I'm preaching right now, is going to happen. It's already started to happen. I'll talk about that in a second. And so the Davidic covenant cannot fail, and sure enough, after 400 years, God broke his silence, and at just the right time, man, God looks over and he sees Gabriel the angel. And you know Gabriel's just been chomping at the bits, right? And he's like, Gabriel, go ahead. And Gabriel flies down to the earth in order to give the exciting news. All right, so we're done in the Old Testament. Let's head on over to the New Testament. Please turn over to Luke chapter one. And as you're turning to Luke chapter one, I just wanna say Merry Christmas, everybody. So here we go, Luke chapter one, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, and the context there is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Where? To a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a, please shout out the next word, virgin. Everybody look at me for a second. If you're ever in a a church in the future and the guy up on on the platform like me um, denies the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, I have one word of encouragement for you. Run. Don't even wait for the message to end. Ladies and gentlemen, I I am so serious about this. The virgin birth of Christ is an essential of biblical Christian faith. You say, come on, a virgin gets pregnant? Yeah, just like God can speak an entire universe um, into existence out of nothing. That's how it happens. God, you can't limit God. And so in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of who? And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And I always gotta stop right there and hit the pause button. And with all due respect, please hear my heart, okay? Should we respect Mary? Yes. Should we honor Mary? Yes. Should we pray to Mary? No. No. Why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, she's not God. She doesn't have the attributes of God. 
Mary's not omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. So how can the millions of prayers being said to Mary, how can she even hear them? She can't. She's not God. Don't make Mary into something she never wanted to be. Should we respect her? Yeah. Was she an amazing woman? Yeah, absolutely. But don't pray to Mary. Pray to the Lord. Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name, please shout out the name, Jesus. Jesus. He will be great. And when you read the entire New Testament, you find out that Jesus was the greatest person who ever lived. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. I hope you guys have seen the connection very clear between 2 Samuel 7 and the New Testament story of the birth of Jesus. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high overshadow you therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of God and so Gabriel tells the virgin Mary that through the miracle of the Holy Spirit she's going to give birth to the Messiah all right so with the time we have remaining very quickly let's just look at three points from this passage ladies and gentlemen Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant and he is the greatest person in all of history. Gabriel said he shall be great. Did you see that in verse 32? He will be great. Now, I understand that there's lots of controversy about who's the greatest person who ever lived. I think it's Jesus hands down. Did you guys know that when the Apollo 11 uh, mission came back, when the astronauts of the Apollo 11 came back, um, and back in July of 1969. By the way, how many, how many of you guys remember that? How many of you guys watched uh, The First Man Walk on the Moon? Yeah. I was three years old, so I don't remember it. Um, but nonetheless, it happened. And when the Apollo 11 landed on the moon, July of 1969, millions of people were so excited. But not many people were more excited than President Richard Nixon. I don't know if you ever heard this story, but Nixon got on a plane. He flew out to the uh, carrier, the USS Hornet. Uh, the USS Hornet had uh, picked up the three astronauts after their capsule had splashed down in the Pacific Ocean. And so Nixon goes to the carrier, and he speaks to these guys from their quarantine unit. And so during their conversation, the president referred to their mission. By the way, the Apollo 11 mission lasted about a week. It lasted eight days. And so as he's talking to the three astronauts, during their conversation, he refers to their mission as the greatest week in the history of the world since creation. Wow, that's quite a statement. Now, you can read the entire conversation uh, at the Nixon Foundation website. You can see the context of all of it. But he was noting 
as he said it was the greatest week in the history of the world since creation, that because of their mission, the world was more unified than, than ever. Now, most people would agree the Apollo 11 mission was absolutely amazing. I would agree with that. But the greatest week in history of the world since creation? No. Not even close. And by the way, somebody went and told Billy Graham what the president said. How many of you guys are glad for men of God who are full of the spirit of God or men and women of God who are full of the spirit of God who speak the truth in love boldly, right? And so when Billy Graham heard the comment of the president, um, he <laughs> made the correct correction. He said three events are greater, namely the birth of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the truth. You say, why? Why are those three events greater? Here's why. It's because those three events, the birth of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ impacted lives, not just temporarily. They impacted lives forever and ever. That's why. And so have you allowed Jesus Christ to impact your life? The Bible says that if any man or woman is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And sometimes people wonder, why do Christians get so excited about Jesus Christ? Because he's changed our lives. The old's gone, the new's come. We didn't work that up. Jesus came and Jesus did it. He wants to do it in your life as well. And so in terms of greatness, no historical figure comes close to Jesus. In fact, Time Magazine, in an article from December 2013, they asked the question, who's biggest? The 100 most significant figures in history. Guess who was at the top of the list? Jesus Christ. Why? Because nobody impacted the world like Jesus. He shall be great, greatest person in the world. But second of all, if you're taking notes, you see, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And number two, he is the son of David and, don't miss this, he is the son of God. Jesus Christ is the son of David in his human nature. He's the son of God in his divine nature. The second person of the Trinity came on a rescue mission, and what did he do? He added a human nature to his divine nature. It's called the incarnation. He clothed himself in humanity. It's the true meaning of Christmas. It just grieves my heart that so many people have made Christmas something that it's not. Christmas, listen, is what we're talking about right now. And so John wrote this. He said, in the beginning was the word, Lagos, it's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and, go ahead and finish it out, please. The word was God. He was God. And then you read down 14 verses, and here's what you get in John 1:14. And the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory is as of the only 
Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John 1, 1 tells us that Jesus is fully God. And John 1, 14 tells us that Jesus is fully man. 100% God, 100% man. And again, this is one of those essential doctrines of biblical Christianity. It's so important that you get that right. And so even though many Jews and Gentiles in the first century um, put their trust in Jesus as their Messiah, here's what you need to know if you're new to the Bible, that Israel as a nation, as a nation, they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. This is why it also says in John chapter one that he, Jesus, came unto his own and his own received him not but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe, hear that, believe, trust in his name. So my question this morning to you is have you, just, just for a second, just listen to me. From your heart, answer this honestly. Have you put your personal faith, your personal trust in Jesus Christ, receiving him as the Savior and Lord of your life? It's so important, why? Here's why it's so important. Your eternal destination is on the line. So important. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The word death means separation. And so if the rapture doesn't happen in our lifetime, all of us are gonna take our last breath. And when we take our last breath, our soul will be separated, it's called death from our body and our life on earth will end in our body. But our soul's gonna live forever, because our souls are immortal, in one of two places, heaven or hell. And so it's so important that we get this right. The wages of sin is death, but what did Christ do? Christ came to rescue us from death. He came to rescue us from the miseries of hell. Some people say, man, that just makes me uncomfortable. Why do you have to talk about hell? Listen, someday I have to stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, and I have to give an account of everything that I say to you guys. Will you please pray for me, by the way? <laughs> and so listen, if Jesus talked more about hell than heaven, I can't ignore the topic. I mean, he's the savior, what's he saving us from? He's saving us from death, he's saving us from sin, he's saving us from the miseries of hell. And so thank God that God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. And so Jesus left the glories of heaven. And by the way, I never get tired of sharing the gospel. Never, and you shouldn't either. It is the hope of the world. And Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, what did he do? He left the glories of heaven. He was born of a virgin uh, called Mary. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He willingly went to a Roman cross and allowed them to nail him to the cross. He bore our, sin, our sins into, in his body on the cross and he died for our sins. He died in our place. You've heard it said before, and I'm quoting this, I don't know who this is original with, but Jesus lived the life I couldn't live and he died the death I should have died. Just let that sink in for a second. 
Just put your guard down for a second. Those of you who are watching right now, just listen to the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ lived the life that we could not live. What is that? A perfect, sinless life. And then he died the death we should have died. We're the ones who are sinners. We should have been separated from God forever in hell. But Jesus said, I'm gonna come on a rescue mission and I'm gonna hang on the cross and I'm gonna die as the innocent substitute in their place. He died for us. He paid for our sins. But the story doesn't end there because three days later, he rose from the dead. He got up. He walked out. Victorious over sin, victorious over hell, victorious over death. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Very important that you hear this. Right now, Jesus sits on the throne of God in heaven. But one day, he's coming back, and when he does, he's gonna sit on the throne of David on the earth. This is not metaphor here. This is literal truth. There is a throne of David. Jesus is not sitting on the throne of David right now. He's sitting on the, at the right hand of the Father. He's sitting on the throne of God, but he's gonna come back because listen, the, the, God is a promise keeper. God's gonna keep his promises and Christ is gonna come back and he's gonna sit on a literal throne called the throne of David and that leads you to your third point and that is that Jesus, the fulfillment of the, of, is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant and he will be the future ruler over Israel and over the world. Paul said this, to the church at Rome. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way, if you're listening right now, can you say amen here? In this way, all Israel will be saved. You say, when is this gonna happen? He goes on, as it is written, the deliverer, okay, we're talking about the second coming of Christ, the Messiah. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Jesus Christ is gonna come back. He's gonna reign over Israel, but not just Israel. He's gonna reign over the entire world. You say, really? You sure this isn't just metaphorical language? No, this is going to happen, literally, in a theater coming near you. <laughs> Here's your last verse from the last book of the Bible. The kingdoms, not just of Israel, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. David, your house, your kingdom, your throne. It's gonna be established forever. And who is the son of David? Who is this king of kings and lord of lords? His name is Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Have you received him? And so a thousand years B.C., God made a promise to David. The promise was so great 
It impacts the future of the entire world. And the promise, the fulfillment of that promise is what Christmas is all about. Not just the birth of Jesus, listen to this, the reign of Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus wants to reign in your heart as we're waiting for his kingdom to come? In the meantime, he wants to rule in your heart. He wants to be the Lord of your life.